Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. It's great to see your smiling faces. Uh, it is hard to preach to masks and to cameras and to actually see your mouths, your faces. It's life-giving. Thank you for showing up. It's, it's great. Um, I'm just thrilled that you're here with us today. So as Ryan alluded to uh, before, we have been going through a series on the resurrection. And we started at Easter, and Ryan has really been drawing out for us the simple truth, but profound truth, that through our union with Christ, we have died to sin, we have been raised to new life, and that Jesus has used that to break the power of sin in our lives, He's used that to break the power of the law to condemn us, and he set us free to love God and to love his law, and he's given us his spirit that we might walk in newness of life. Today, as Ryan said, is Pentecost, and it's, it's the celebration um, on the church calendar of Acts chapter 2. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it means... Uh, literally 50 days, and it means that because it happened 50 days after the resurrection. So uh, we're going to dive into that, but let's go ahead and pray first. Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us this glorious day to celebrate the Pentecost, the giving of your spirit to the church and the outflowing of your church over the entirety of the world. It's a great thing, Father. We ask, Lord, as we turn to this passage that you keep our eyes firmly fixed upon Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you open our hearts, make us sensitive to the movement of the spirits here in this room. Father, we love you. We ask, Lord, that you make your love for us more real and more powerful today than it ever has been. And that you give us life. Amen. All right, so a little bit of background just to tell you where we've been and where we are in the story. Like you know, uh, we just discussed, it started on Easter, but we're going to back up just a little bit before that. And we have Palm Sunday it's the week before Easter, and Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and then we fast forward a little bit, and we're at Monday, Thursday. That's the celebration of the Last Supper, and it's Jesus' last time of teaching with the disciples, and it's there that he discloses that he's going to give the Holy Spirit to them, and then they go to the garden, and there... Jesus is arrested, and the disciples scatter out of fear. And they're so afraid that, except for John, 
we're not told that any of them actually went to the crucifixion. They may have viewed it from afar, but we're not told that. And then comes Saturday, which is the darkest day pretty much of human history and definitely the darkest day of the apostles' lives. And they are shut up in this dark room, hiding out from fear of the Jews, that they would be killed too. And then Sunday comes, and the women go to the tomb, and they find it empty, and they run back, and they tell the disciples, and John and Peter run off to the tomb as well, and they find it empty, and then they go back, and they tell the disciples. But again, they're still stuck in this room. Something has happened. Hope has sprung anew in their heart, but they really don't know what everything means. What does it mean? And it's into that room that Jesus comes with his new glorified body that is more real than the walls. And he walks through those walls. And he shows them who he is. And he confirms his ministry to them. And then after that, he's on earth for 40 more days. And then he gives them the great commission. Go out, he says, to the ends of the earth. Preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a big job, big job. Then after he gives the Great Commission, he is lifted up into heaven in what's called the Ascension. And the disciples are left staring up after him trying to get one last glimpse of him after that cloud overshadowed him. And they have to be brought out of their reverie by a couple of angels that say, why are you looking up into the sky? Jesus is going to come back the same way. You go do what he told you. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the power of God to come upon you. And so that's what they do. But can you... Can you feel a little bit what they must be feeling at this time? Okay, they, they were timid people and fearful. And yes, they had hope shining new in their heart, but they were still timid. They were still weak. They were still powerless. They must have felt inadequate. We know that at least... Peter felt completely unworthy of his calling. You know, we're told at the end of John's gospel that Jesus actually has to go after Peter because Peter had basically hung up his hat on being apostle and went back to being a fisherman. And Jesus has to go and get him and say, no, I made the right choice. I'm sending you. Do you ever feel like that as you go through your life? Powerless, inadequate, unworthy of the calling to be a Christian, fearful and timid. I feel like that. I feel like that a lot. But it's it's with that feeling that we come in to the day of Pentecost. So let's read the text. It comes from Acts chapter 2. 
Uh, it's a long reading. I'm doing verses 1 through 24 and then 36 through 39. Um, but uh, I think it's all important. Starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and, and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then skipping down to verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's word, all men are like grass, and all their glories are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but not God's word. It stands forever. It's such a great, great passage, isn't it? I mean, it's an amazing passage if you think about it, and it's one of my favorite in the entirety of the Bible, because it shows the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. And there's so much in the passage that, I mean, we couldn't possibly address it today. We couldn't even possibly address it in, you know, five weeks of going through a sermon series on it. You know, huge tomes have been written on it. So there's one thing, really, that I want to focus on here, and that's the Spirit moving. Because that, that's the clearest, most basic message of this passage, that the Spirit Moves, And so we're going to look at the Spirit moving in three ways. We're going to look at the Spirit moving in the disciples. We're going to look at the Spirit moving in the audience, in the people of Jerusalem. And then we're going to look at how the Spirit moves in the church. And specifically, the, how the Spirit moves in the church today. So, first... There, there are two basic ways that the Spirit works. You know, many, many other things that the Spirit does. But two basic ways that the Spirit works when you're talking about it working, uh, Him working, not it, Him, working on individuals. Uh, and the first we see here... Wow. That'll wake you up. <laughs> So the first we see here in the disciples, and it's in verses 1 through 4. I'll read them again just real quick. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came a sound, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And that's the first way. It's a, that's what theologians call empowering to ministry. And the Spirit of God comes upon them and all of a sudden there's this dramatic change. Apologists point to this as one of the key evidences that the Bible is actually true. Because you look at how the apostles behaved before, timid, fearful, feeling unworthy, inadequate, unlearned fishermen. And a sudden and dramatic shift into people who are not timid and scared, but now they are bold and they are courageous, willing to face death. They were unlearned men, but now... <laughs> Now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, they are speaking the mighty works of God 
to everybody in languages that they didn't even know before. They were ineffectual in their ministry. They couldn't convince Thomas that Jesus had raised from the dead. Jesus had to come and convince Thomas. They had had, what, 50 days now to start gathering a following and we're, we're told in Acts chapter 1 that at this time there were only 120 disciples total. Ineffectual. But now... They become life-changing preachers, feeling unworthy to actually fulfill the Great Commission, to fulfill the work that Jesus gave them to do, and yet now they start that work explosively. And it's amazing to see what God has done in them, how he comes upon them and empowers their ministry gives them the words that they need to speak. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think when we think about the power of the Holy Spirit, especially when we think about us and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what we want. We want that power. We want that firm faith. If we had it, we wouldn't be fearful, we think. We could have strong faith. We could feel the Holy Spirit with us at all times, moving in us, moving through us, empowering our words, helping us convince the world that Jesus loves them and died for them. And wanting that power isn't wrong. Now, The overemphasis on that power is, though, there are many uh, denominations in Christianity that focus almost exclusively on the power of the Holy Spirit empowering the ministry. And while it's good, I would actually argue it's not, not the most profound thing that's going on here and not the most profound work that the Holy Spirit is doing. So, I said that there were two ways that the Spirit moves on people. And the first is in the disciples and the empowering ministry. The second is more subtle. The second flies under the radar and is given short shrift a lot of times. But again, I think it's much more profound. Jesus said that if the people didn't cry out, Hosanna in the highest, the very stones would cry out. God can raise up prophets and give words to anything, even animals, if you go back into the Old Testament. No, the more profound way that the Spirit's working here is found in verses 12 and 13. I wonder if you heard it. Let's hear it again. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said, they are filled with new wine. So what's going on there? How does that actually show the movement of the Spirit? Well, we have two groups that are set up here. We have one group that is astonished and amazed at what has happened. They're witnessing the empowered preaching of the word by the apostles. 
and they lean in. Tell me more. I have to know more. What is going on? And then the other group says, they must be drunk. Wow. You're hearing the empowered preaching of the apostles and yet it does nothing in your heart. Yet, this actually is talked about throughout the rest of Scripture, how the Holy Spirit actually needs to prepare someone's heart for them to hear the gospel. Jesus says in John chapter 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, that unless you're born of water and spirit, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't make sense of the movement of the Spirit. Paul in 1 Corinthians says much the same. He says that the gospel is folly for those who are perishing. Foolish talk. But to, the, to those being saved... It is the very wisdom of God. And that's reaffirmed again and again throughout the Bible. Um, an interesting little side trail. If you want a good Bible study to lead yourself through, try to look up all of those passages. You'll run out of paper soon. So, this is the more profound way. This is the more profound way that the Spirit moves. Theologians call this regeneration. It's when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody quietly, sometimes dramatically, infiltrates their heart, makes it alive again, gives them a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone, and prepares their ears to hear the truth of God. So, those are the two ways that the Spirit moves in this passage. But what about the Spirit as He moves in the church? Does this passage say anything about that? Well, yes. If we go back to verse 38... 38 and 39, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And so Peter's promised there through God, or God has promised through Peter more, that the gift of the Spirit flows out to everybody who believes, everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord and who is saved. And there's also, uh, there's another work that the Holy Spirit does, and it's kind of alluded to in what Pentecost is. You know, we said it was 50 days and it's 50 days since the resurrection. Well, 
it's actually, it wasn't a new thing. It was, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was, but the Jews were in Jerusalem celebrating a feast, the Feast of Weeks. And it was a time that was set aside that was 50 days after the Passover. And it commemorated the giving of the law on stone tablets. And God promises in the Old Testament that he is going to not just give people the law on stone tablets, but he is going to write it on their hearts. Every believer is going to have the law written on their hearts. And that is what's happening here at Pentecost, 50 days after Christ, our Passover lamb, 50 days after that sacrifice is proved to the world to be genuine. 50 days after the resurrection, we have Pentecost and the outflowing of the Holy Spirit and the writing of God's law on our hearts. And the Spirit's at work today in the same ways in the church, empowering us as believers and getting people ready to believe. He's also at work in us in believers after they believe to sanctify them to bring them further into conformity with Jesus and that's that's a glorious thing that's a that's an even better thing than being able to walk confidently and speak powerfully and convert thousands of people because really it wasn't Peter that converted anybody it was the holy spirit that converted them. He used Peter's words to do it. So, so what? You know, that's, that's the big question at the end of every sermon. So what? What do I do with this? Well, if you're a believer, this text says something very important to you. It says that you have the Holy Spirit in you. Theologians call this the indwelling spirit. It's the spirit of Christ that has taken up a residence in your mortal flesh, in your heart, and is with you all day, every day. Whether or not you sin, whether or not you walk confidently, whether or not you feel its power, his power in you, whether or not you have unfaltering faith. The Holy Spirit is with you. He's in you. And he's empowering you to do the work of ministry. Listen, Ryan and I have the work of ministry set before us of preaching the gospel. That's what we have been ordained to do. That's what we're called to do. But we're just men, and we can't do it. We cannot preach the gospel without the Spirit coming with us and empowering us to do it. Anything that we speak of our own is just going to be empty words. It's the Spirit that has to empower us to do that. The same is true of all of you. You all have spheres of ministry. And if whatever that looks like for you, you have a homeschool, homeschool moms. Your work, your ministry... Right now, 
It's primarily to your children. And the Holy Spirit has empowered you to do that. Has empowered you to preach the gospel to your children. For others who work outside the home. The Holy Spirit is empowering you for all of your ministry to everybody you come into contact with. Any way that you would minister to somebody. Any way you would pray for them. Any way you... Don't know what that was. Any way you would pray for them. Any way that you might share the gospel with them. Holy Spirit's with you. And that's, that's a staggering thing. And it's something that should give you confidence. Are you feeling weak in your faith now? Maybe you are. Know that the Holy Spirit goes with you. Are you feeling unworthy now? Know that the Holy Spirit doesn't think so. No. Why doesn't he think so? Because you are somebody that Jesus died for. Somebody that Jesus rode for, rose for. And someone whom the Holy Spirit has bound to Jesus more closely than anything that we have a picture for on earth. You've been grafted into the true vine. He's also sanctifying you. That means that whenever you look at yourself and you look at your sin, you are being conformed more and more to the image of Christ every day. And that's, to a certain extent, whether or not you participate in that. Because God will have his way and he will conform you to Christ's image. Willy or nilly. And that's a great hope that we have. So, call to action. Call to action. One last practical thing. So as you go forth this week, as you go forth in your life, in your prayer life, I would ask... Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal how he's working in you. To reveal how he's working in people in your lives. Be attentive to that. Be attentive to the ways that he's working and actually actively look for them. He'll show them to you and that'll help bolster your faith not only in uh, him and his work in you, It'll bolster your faith in Christ because that's ultimately who the Holy Spirit is pointing you to at all times. I'd also be attentive to the spirit that just dwells in each one of us, the spirit of the old man, the one that always wants to scoff. You know, this is the same spirit that we see here in the passage, but it's the spirit that says... To us, well, I know that that person said that they were sorry, but 
whatever. I don't believe their heart is actually changed. You say stuff like that, you're, you're limiting the power of the Holy Spirit to change that person, and you're scoffing at, it, at the work that seems to be evident in them. There are many, many other ways, many other examples that you can come up with for that. But pay attention for it and rebuke it. Because the Holy Spirit comes in power. And if we do pay attention to him, then we'll see him at work. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you did not see fit to leave us in our sin, but instead you sent Jesus to come into this world, to infiltrate it, and to live the life that we should all live and die the death that we should all die, all so that he could claim us as family, as brothers and sisters. We praise you, Father, for sending him because you loved us with the great love with which you love us. Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you that in everything, though we might be ashamed of ourselves, you are not ashamed of us. That you, that you love us so much. That you count every lash that you suffered when you went to the cross as worthless compared to the overvaluing weight of your church being brought in to your kingdom. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work in us. We thank you for binding us closer and closer every day to Jesus, that every breath that we have, we are breathing in the newness of life that you've given us. We ask, Lord, we ask, move, move in us, move on us, and let us see your glory that we might show it to the world. Amen.